When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. I'm Jimmy Murphy. He's Pierre McGuire. And I'm ready to walk through a wall right now, Pierre, after hearing that over and over. Man, that's one of my favorite movie scenes. And and Pierre, you knew the man. You met him. How oh, wow. well did Kurt Russell nail that role? In that your was opinion? really well done. Um, it's one of my most favorite memories, um, Jimmy, when you think about movies and things like that. That's just so well done by Kurt Russell. But uh, one of the greatest times I ever had, and I was with Bob McKenzie and Gordon Miller right after the 2002 Olympics in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Herb Brooks was there. He had just finished coaching USA. They had lost to the Americans in the, or the Canadians in the gold medal game. And we sat and talked about how important the growth of hockey was for the sustainability of the sport going forward and how they really thought – how he thought 80 was huge. But going forward, they needed to have more 1980 moments. And he said it's a huge responsibility for people working in the game, people broadcasting the game, people owning teams in the game, and youth hockey people, grassroots people. And that was an amazing, I'm going to say, four hours we had with Herb Brooks, oh. uh, Bob Gordon and I. And it got a little heated at times because he was he was a little angry about some things. Yeah. But it was so much fun. It was so educational. And every time I saw him after that, um, you know, we would always remind each other of that great visit in uh, in Salt Lake. And, of course, that's our This Day in Hockey History brought to you by Bob Bergen. 44 years ago today, USA upset Russia 4-3 up in Lake Placid, the miracle on ice. And, uh, you know, look, as I said to Pierre about an hour ago when we were talking, prepping for the show, I was only five years old at the time, but I do vaguely remember my dad He's told me the story. He told me the story after, but, you know, he brought me down to make me watch it. And, of course, like I said to Pierre, the the craziest thing about that moment is it's such an historical moment, not just in sports, but in life, in the history of the world, it it was an historical moment. And everyone here in North America couldn't see it until a few hours after. Right, Pierre? Yes. I was a freshman in college. I had just finished hockey practice. Um and I was pledging at a fraternity. And as soon as practice was over, when you were pledging those days, it was a little bit more arduous than what I think it is today, um, just because of the social norms that were considered normal back then compared to where we are today. And uh, uh, there were no cell phones, but I went back to my dorm before I went to the fraternity house. And my brother, my late, or my late father and my brother were both at the game in Lake Placid. And oh, they wow. actually called me to wow. tell me that, you know, the Americans had won. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Do I tell everybody else or what? So yeah. I just went and did my chores at the fraternity house where I was pledging. Yeah. 
and we eventually watched it on tape delay. And I just have to say this, not to name drop, Jimmy, one of the coolest things in my career was to get to be friends and break bread and talk with the great Al Michaels mm-hmm. um, with all the different Olympics I did for NBC, working around and with Al. Um, mm-hmm. Usually for me, it was from the pool uh, when I was doing water polo and talking on two ways back and forth with Al. Um, and his passion for hockey was amazing. I remember he sat right behind the inside the glass position in Sochi during the TJ Oshie game. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, he just looked at me, gives me the big thumbs up. I mean, I'll, I'll just to think that you get to know the man and, and to hear that call again and again, it never gets old for me. It never gets old. That's great. Great moment. Great moment for sure. And I loved I was at the premiere of that movie, actually, because there's so many Boston connections oh, I bet. to that team. And then actually a couple Boston actors, like kids that really hadn't done much in Hollywood from Boston, uh, got their start in that movie. And uh, it, it was a fun time for sure. And I'll, I'll, anytime it's on, I start watching. It's one of those movies, just like Slap. I, I get on a plane and I can watch it. I've probably seen it a hundred times. Yeah. Like Slapshot, you know, I've seen it so many times. Yep. Watching the miners and riding the bus, you, you care about Slapshot because it kind of reminds you of the life you're living. Exactly. You know, you, know, you talked about Boston guys, and I'm not sure there was anybody that influenced that team more than Michael Ruzioni. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, Mike does so much for so many people, uh, whether it's at Boston University, his alma mater, where he still goes to work mm-hmm. every day, uh, all the charities he's involved in. Uh, I, I can just tell you, anytime I see Mike or get a chance to talk to Mike, it's awesome. And um, I don't think, you know, obviously he was a captain of the team, but I'm not sure anybody truly appreciated the real impact Mike's had both before the Olympics, at the Olympics, and his life after the Olympics. Really, really special man. He is. He is. He's definitely still involved in the community here as well. Um, look, Pierre, uh, you mentioned there were no cell phones back then. And, of course, you know, that means you wouldn't be able to use one of our new sponsors uh, that we're ha- excited to uh, bring into the iTest family here. We'll be starting up with them soon. Uh, and it's called Factor. And let me just tell you, Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day day easy whenever tomorrow takes you be ready with pre-prepared chef crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from look pierre we'll stop it there we're going to give you way more details about it next week when when they come into the fold here but we're really excited about that and uh i don't know about you pierre i haven't tried any of these these food apps yet but i've been wanting to so i'm really looking forward to getting my package from them in the in the mail and seeing what they have to offer. Well, we're really grateful to the people, the family at Factor for joining the eye test. And uh, we will not disappoint you. We will not let you down. Just like we can't wait to try your product. Hopefully you'll enjoy our product as well. And Jimmy, you know what? Um, it's so great to see where you've helped bring the eye test to. And um, it's fun. It's fun watching this product grow. And, and I can't thank you enough for all of your efforts. And, and the guys back in Montreal too. Especially, you know, Jimmy, we didn't talk about it enough. When, when they were out in Vegas during the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. how much our crew hustled to get this show on the air at the proper time. And and it was I, – I was like, wow, these guys really care. They have the passion to make this great. And we're really grateful to everybody that's part of this. We really are. And the feeling is mutual to you too, Pierre, as well. It's my honor to work with you. 
And I'm excited all every day to, to look over in that comment section on the right and see the community that we're building as well up here. Because as we've discussed off air, that's that's one of my favorite parts of doing this uh, is just interacting with the great hockey fans around the world and just spreading this game, spreading our love and our passion for the game and, and helping it grow. And, and I hope we're uh, we're helping them as well uh, to be part of it. And Pierre, one guy who helped hockey grow in Pittsburgh, and he was part of those great Stanley Cup teams that you were involved with, he'll be joining us shortly, and that's Phil Bork, uh, yeah. former Pittsburgh Penguin. He still works with the team. He, he does announcing. He does tons in the community for the team, and we're excited to have him come on the show today. He'll be joining us shortly. We're just waiting for him to chime in, uh, to connect with us. Uh, but I know it's going to be a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, for you, Pierre, and, and as you were saying to me off the air, uh, Bubba is a, is a great guy, and he's beloved down there in Pittsburgh, isn't he? Oh, my gosh. He is, he's iconic in Pittsburgh. You know, they love to celebrate their athletes in Pittsburgh. They really do, especially guys that come in from different parts of the world and eventually stay. And, you know, for Phil, he, he was a Pittsburgh guy, and, and then he moved to the Rangers. And then when I left Hartford to go to Ottawa, I made sure we brought Phil Bork with us to Ottawa. And, Phil played really well there, and eventually, like most great Pittsburghers, and that's what I consider Phil, he found his way back to Pittsburgh, and he has made a massive difference in their broadcast department. He's made a massive difference in their community, and uh, I'll tell you one thing. It was an honor to coach him and be around him, and uh, he, the most underrated part about Phil Bork, he's such a nice guy. Nobody yep. can think that he's got this nasty gene to him. He could be nasty, Jimmy. I know I told you to find and watch this one fight that he yeah. was in. And uh, I think you could see how nasty Phil could be. Let's let's bring on the uh, the nice but also nasty man, Phil Bork himself right now, joining us here on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. Bubba, how you doing? Hey, boys. I'm doing well. Uh, pleasure to be on. I don't do a lot of podcasts. Uh, well, so well, I'm we're really, honored then. I'm really fired up to be on with you guys. I well, no, we're more fired up to have you because I don't want to get in your bad books because you might beat me up like you did Mark Hardy one night in New York. No, man. No. Yeah, Mark Hardy, and it's funny when I went, you, I heard you talking. I went to the Rangers, and Mark Hardy was a part of the Rangers. Yep. Ended up, and you're not surprised, you guys, if you know Mark Hardy, he's a swell guy. Awesome. He's awesome. part of a guy, but he was a, a real Richard on the ice, if you know what I mean. Yep. <laughs> and he, you know, we were about the same size. Uh -huh. and he's a scrappy guy, and uh, yeah, man, we probably fought four or five. I probably fought him, Pierre. Probably fought Mark Hardy more than anybody else. Oh, wow. I'm aware. That's why I told Jimmy I want you to see this because they're about yeah. the same size, and it just shows you how <laughs> tough Phil is. And uh, you know, I I tell people all the time, Phil Bork's maybe one of the nicest guys I've ever had the privilege of coaching. But there was a little nasty gene to you, Phil. When you needed to turn it, you could turn it. Well, that, to me, I didn't grow up that way. Um, you know, I was a skilled guy, like a lot of guys that get mm -hmm. to the NHL. Mm -hmm. But once I went to the American League and I had to fight guys like Donnie Knockbauer and Archie Henderson and, you know, Barube just to survive, because if you got challenged down there, you didn't say no, because you don't want that reputation. And, you know, I didn't fight just to fight. More times I fought either to stick up for myself or to stick up for my teammates. Mm -hmm. So that mean gene that you talk about, Pierre, didn't come natural. It's something that I had to really reach down deep and find 
to get to the National Hockey League and more importantly, to stay there. Great stuff. Great stuff. And you know, it's funny you'd say that. We've had this conversation before, Phil, about, you know, how these guys, these fighters go at it on the ice. Yeah. But off the ice, they're nicest guy. And really, a lot of them remain <laughs> friends with each other. And it's a, it's a big fraternity. And I've witnessed it. I've, I've, I've been across the street at the Fours from Boston Garden where I cover the, the Bruins, you know, or TD Garden rather. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll walk in and you see two guys that uh, used to go at it all the time on the ice throwing back beers together. And it's like, really? And then you start talking to them and they're trading stories and it's great. And it, it really is a great fraternity within the fraternity of hockey, eh? Yeah, wouldn't you say maybe 1% of those guys are real jerks. They have a dual persona where, yeah, they are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. They're usually the guys, and I, and I think this is part of their survival of staying in the league, the guys that do the most in the community yep. with kids, with oh, yeah. handicapped kids, hospitals, those are the guys you see there the most. And I think because – they realize they have to do that to stay in the league, part of their value to the team and the community. Mm -hmm. I think eventually they start to like it. And I yeah. think that's when, I oh, mean, yeah. listen, listen, not everybody's a real jerk. There are a couple, but very few and far between. And uh, yeah, I always kind of giggled when I'd see those guys out at the bar afterwards and they'd be like, hey, Borky, how you doing? I'm like, <laughs> who are you? You just yeah. tried to knock my block off about 45 minutes ago. What happened ago. to that other guy? <laughs> uh, hey, Jimmy, Phil and I have a really special friend, Jay Caulfield. He totally oh, yeah. embodies everything Phil just talked about. I'll yep. tell you one quick story. Phil was part of our team in, in Pittsburgh. We had two or three days off in Detroit. It was a weird part of the schedule. And one afternoon, I get a call from Jay Caulfield. He says, hey, you know, they got some tough guys and probably going to have to do some dancing tomorrow. Can you meet me at Joe Lewis and we'll do a little warm-up? So I said, yeah, sure. So he brings his gloves, and Phil knows the gloves I'm talking about, his punching gloves, and I'm there. And he has shoulder pads on. I don't. And we start grappling and locking up, and then he starts throwing punches. I couldn't get out of bed the next day because I didn't have pads on, and his grip, AFL, was so tight. He just about broke my shoulders with his grip. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I know. He did the same thing to me where he asked me to stay after practice. And he would want me to grab his jersey and, and jerk him back and forth. Because, listen, the story of Jay Caulfield is, I don't want to go on and on about it. But do you know Jay Caulfield played one college hockey game? Yeah, he was a football player. He's a That's football it, eh? Philly. He's a middle linebacker, broke his neck playing football. They wouldn't yeah. let him play football, but he could play hockey. He played one game. Johnny Cullen tells the story because it was against BU and Johnny Cullen says they're on the plane flying out to North Dakota where he went to school. And they said, Hey, did you hear this football player is going to play hockey? It was Jay. And I Craig Patrick the other day about this. You'll love this. Cause you know, with the whole Yager ceremony, I said, Hey, uh, did you um, invite Jay Caulfield to training camp with the Rangers? Because you went to see James Patrick. He's like, exactly. I went to see Jeep and I saw this, big galoop out there. I happened to be at that game against BU. I'm like, I'm going to invite this guy to camp. He goes to New Haven. He bounces around the American League. He ends up in Minnesota. Next thing you know, he's in Pittsburgh. Two cups later, he's got a great career in broadcast. Wow. But the same thing, guys. He he would say, grab me by the jersey, Borky, and jerk me back and forth as much as you can. Because he was top-heavy, right, Pierre? Oh, he huge. was a great skater. He wasn't a great fighter because his balance was always off. And he knew it. But he was an absolute maniac as far as work ethic. That's oh, awesome. yes, he was. Good yes, stuff. Good was. stuff.
Let me ask you, uh, Borky, uh, how was it playing for this guy in the middle here, this uh, Pierre Maguire guy? Awful. He might have been the worst coach I ever had in my whole career. <laughs> he was always kicking me in the ass when I was on the bench. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Pierre and I, we have a special relationship. I don't know. I don't know why it was formed, Pierre. Uh, I think you just had appreciation for my role on the team. You realize that you don't win without muckers and grinders, and that's what I was. You also knew you're, I mean, you're, whether you're a broadcaster, you're a teacher, or, or what you're doing now, you're always a guy that always did your homework. And I'm sure you look back to where I came from, an undrafted player, and a lot of people said, oh, Bork, he'll never make it. Oh, Bork, he'll never make it. And you knew I always tried to prove people wrong, and I always tried to have value, whether it was playing forward or defense, killing penalties, maybe a little power play, third line, first line, wherever you put me in, I tried to be a valuable guy. And I think Pierre was one of those guys that you probably worked for everything you had had got in your career too, Pierre. So you have an appreciation for that. Well, no, what, it, what people don't need to know about you, Phil, is you took the path with the most resistance. You were an American kid that went to play major junior hockey. Right. And a lot of kids from Massachusetts Austin, weren't going yeah. up to the Ontario Hockey League in those days. And I no. always, to me, whenever I'd watch you play, and this was when you were playing in Baltimore in particular, I'd say, this guy's got to have serious guts because there's not a lot of American kids yeah. going up there at that point. Wow. And, and the one thing Jimmy Phil could really do well, and he, and he will never give himself enough credit, he could skate. Phil, I remember yeah. talking to Mario. We had a reunion. Phil was there. I was there. There were a bunch of the old guys were there. Mm-hmm. And we were playing tapes of our 91 and 92 teams. And Mario said something that was really interesting. And you were part of the discussion. He said, I think our team's one of the few teams from the 90s that could play in the NHL today and keep up. And one of the reasons why, it was Bob Airy, it was Phil Bork, it was our faster guys on the wings right. that could really make a difference. Sean McEachern. Sean McEachern, yeah. Kevin Stevens, Mark Reckie. Like, we were fast. Yeah. Right, Phil? Like, we really had a fast team. And yeah. in those days, Phil knows I was running the practices. And if you watched our team practice, some nights we were – or some days, Phil, we were so good it was scary. Yeah. It, it really was scary to see how scary. our players were. Well, they always yeah. say the best teams uh, are the ones that practice even better. That's what I've always been told. Yeah, I'm sure right. you guys can attest to that. Uh, Phil, let's get to the you know the team now that you are, are covering and work for, uh, the current Pittsburgh Penguins team. Obviously, things not going uh, as everyone would like. Uh, what did you take from uh, what Kyle Dubas said yesterday? I don't know. A little bit of a blurred message, maybe coded a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what to take away from it, to be honest with you. I, it sounds like he's still being patient. He still believes in this team. I mean, when you look on us at, at us on paper, I mean, we might be the biggest underachievers in the league this year. When you look and listen. I think that's fair. I, I, I knew, we all knew what we were getting with Eric Carlson. I'll kind of leave it at that. Yep. He is underachieved. I thought bringing him in here, he has faults. But he also has greatness, right? That's who he is, okay? And I really felt him coming here with Todd Ridden, who's been a bit of a defenseman whisperer, you know, with Sid here, Latang here, and Chris Latang willing to take a backseat to Eric Carlson, um, and also with Mike Sullivan here and Sidney Crosby. I thought that he would really fit into a team that was ready to take the next step after missing the playoffs next year. It's been nothing but that. It has been the most roller coaster up and down, inconsistent. I, I, it's hard to reach for words. Look, I'm just yeah. struggling right now to find yeah, words to describe 
who this team is because they're an enigma wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a poop sandwich. You know, I, I don't know who we are night in and night out. Uh, the power play at 30th in the league is the most mind-boggling. There's times I really feel like I'm in a nightmare. I feel like I'm in a nightmare. Yeah. I want to punch myself in the face and wake up and say, no, nah, yeah. 30th in the league? No flipping way. Yeah, but That's who we are. And when we have our work cut out for us, we've got 29 games left. I still believe in this team. Maybe I'm wearing the black and gold colored sunglasses. I don't know. But the way that Sid's playing uh, and Chris Letang, I think they're having some of their best years. Our goaltending has been good enough to give us a chance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, if I had to point my finger at one thing, guys, it's been that power play. That oh, power yeah. play has Thank not you. only not scored, but at times, especially at home, it sucks the air right out of the building. Well, what yeah, about and that? Short, and you give up shorthanded goals too, Jimmy. It's yeah, that too. Yeah, the shorthanded goals yeah. are no good too. But the other part is, and Phil's spot on. He couldn't. This is why I wanted him on, Jimmy, because yeah. he's a Pittsburgh Penguin guy, but he's telling the truth. And this, well, I'm just going to say, like in the dressing room, this is yeah. exactly what he was like in the dressing room. I mean, Phil, I remember when we were down two games to none to Boston in the '91 Eastern Conference Final. Do you remember that team meeting? Course. You were part of it. Kevin Stevens was part of it. Uh, Joey Mullen was part of it. And everybody told the truth. Nobody was worried about telling the truth. And yeah. that's how you get out of this stuff. But Mike, I'm going to tell you the truth on one thing. If they don't have Jake Gensel, I don't see that power play ever getting better. And and I don't know what they're thinking, but you got to put the puck in Sidney Crosby's hands, just like Washington used to yeah. do with Nicky Backstrom. And I don't get it. I just yeah. don't get it. Yeah, yeah, Sid. Sid's more down on the goal line. They tried moving them around a little bit, put them on the left flank, and then they were doing this rotation where Sid would rotate all the way outside the blue line, Pierre, yeah. and then come back into the zone and then take the pass and walk into a shot or a shot pass. It's a wrinkle, but again, with Eric Carlson running the power play, and I hate to just point because it's not just him, no. but Oof. the puck was going through Eric Carlson more than anybody else, mm -hmm. and just what I witnessed with my eyes. Is Eric Carlson, when he gets the puck, there's a lot of hesitation in this game. A lot of a lot of this, the head and shoulders. Yep. And so I, I think he just plays the game off the seat of his pants. Listen, he's won multiple multiple Norris trophies. Okay. But you know, there's been 12 other players in the history of the National Hockey League that have won multiple Norris trophies. They're all in the Hall of Fame. And what's the other thing they all have here? Stanley Cup. They all have Stanley Cups. Um, and so I think a part of Eric Carlson's game is he doesn't need to play Norris Trophy hockey. He mm -hmm. needs to play Stanley Cup hockey. And that is to be play with a conviction and a purpose and play quicker and not mm -hmm. make so many decisions. Because when he's making all these hesitations, he's confusing, I think, himself a little bit. But more importantly, he's confusing his teammates on the ice, guys, where yeah. they're all frozen because they're thinking, What's he doing here? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what he's doing. I'm not sure what he's going to do. And so when you have the four other guys on that power play all kind of stuck in the mud going, uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do, it's easy to kill that penalty. Yeah, it is. Jimmy, do you yeah. understand why I say he's a winner, this yep. man? Do you I get it? it? Do you yeah. understand why I wanted him in Ottawa when he left the Rangers? Do you get yeah. it? Okay, I, you see why. I see why, and I bet he's going to agree with me right now. Borky, I'll just – I'll say – I look at what Eric Carlson did last year in San Jose, and yeah, it was great. He won the North, whatever. It was amazing yeah. some of the stats he put up. But I would take the Eric Carlson on that run to the Eastern Conference Final when they lost to Pittsburgh in, what was that, 2017? Yes, I would sir. take that Eric Carlson over the Eric That's Carlson so last year 
any time. And that's, and that's why I still believe. He Jimmy, did everything you're believe. asking him it's, to do right now. You know? You're bang on, man. It's in there somewhere. It is. But somebody's got to get to him. And the sand is running through the hourglass. We don't have time for nicey-nicey. Yeah. Like, it, it, the message needs to be delivered. And maybe go back to 20. That's a great idea. The way they can cut down videotape, go back yeah. and give me 20 highlights of Eric yeah. Carlson and that Stanley Cup run to get to the, the Eastern Conference he was Finals. And show it to him. Yeah, show it to him. Say, can, you give, can you give me this, Carlson? Because yeah. we need this Eric Carlson, not the 2024 Eric Carlson. The yeah. stretch pass against the Boston Bruins is oh my highlight to that playoff. Oh, it's just man. unbelievable. It's That's just how unique. special this kid is. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand why it's not a, a square peg in a square hole. It's a square peg in a round hole, it seems most nice. Yeah. And he was taking yeah. he was taking I remember that series too against Boston. They were targeting him, you know, obviously they would. Sure. And he was sure. taking that beat and bouncing back up. And sure. I remember talking to some of the guys on the team at that and like this guy's like an energizer bunny. We yeah. just we can't stop him right now. And Agreed. I haven't seen that since from him. And that's what he needs to find. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Pierre, you bring up a good point. I mean, with no Jake Gensel, because, you know, every Batman needs a Robin. Every Lone Ranger needs a Tonto, right? And for Sid, Jake Gensel was that, right? And oh, it was yeah. just a, a magic, really a magical chemistry. It was fun to watch. Knowing that he's probably out to at least the trade deadline until March the 8th. Yeah. Um Big decisions, man. I, I can't remember, Pierre, the last time we've had – I mean, the whole Mark andre Fleury thing in Vegas, that was a crossroads, right? Yep. Do we protect him? The, Matt Murray, the whole thing, right? I think they made the right decision, even though you miss Flower like crazy. But I don't remember in all my time as a player or a broadcaster when we've had this tough a decision for a kid that's 29. He scored 40 twice. He's on his way to 40 again this year and plays so good with Sid. What do you do? It's so important. You wish you had them at the most important time of the year, but you're not. So in the meantime, you got to get other guys to step up. That's cliche. But yeah. in the meantime, what do you do contract-wise with this guy? Because you think he would bring in a lot. I don't know if the injury is going to hold back teams a little bit from what mm -hmm. they potentially were going to give, but this is a special time, a unique time. A, almost a troubling time for the Pittsburgh Penguins because we haven't had this situation in a very long crossroads. It's hey, a you know, crossroads. So I, I told Jimmy um, the worst thing that happened to the Pittsburgh Penguins was a Toronto Maple Leafs signing William Nylander to $11.5 million a year deal on an eight-year deal because if you look at Gensel's numbers, and I know you do, Gensel's yep. numbers are the same as Nylander's. They're the same. Regular yes. season and playoff, they're the same. Those numbers – so on a comparable, Jake's actually better in the playoffs. Period. He is. He's got a two point lead on him in the playoffs. So I'm just telling you, Pittsburgh's doomed on this guy, unless he gives him a hometown discount. You know that better than anybody. What's the What's the discount though? You know what I mean? That's like, what I'm saying. What's, what's the street value and what's the discount? Nobody seems to be able to put, uh, uh, you know, pin the donkey on the tail here and figure out what that number is. Is it a nine? Well, he, you know, I would be still making more than Sid. <laughs> I know, but Sid, Sid signed crazy. a deal what 10, 12 years ago, Pierre. I mean, I, I mean, know, that's I, I, I know, I know, I know all that. You know what I mean? But times have changed. The cap's going up four and a half million next year, biggest yeah. jump ever. Um, you know, it, the comparables have changed. I, I don't see how he makes less than nine. No, he no, can't. Right? He, they would be doing an injustice to him. His agents would be doing an injustice to him. So, yeah. Phil, we talked about all these other players, Eric Carlson, obviously the apple of your eye. 
What's wrong with my friend Evgeny Malkin? You know, Gino's a, he's a sensitive guy. Yep. You know, he yep. wears his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, age is the, the obviously age is caught up to him a little bit, but you know, age caught up to a lot of players and they're able to make the adjustment. Where Gino's a bit more stubborn, I think. Gino still thinks he can play the same way he played five, six, seven, eight years ago. I think recently he's realized I can't. So I think he's in between right now, which is never a good place to be. No. Where you're almost paralysis by analysis, where you're overthinking. You're you know, you're like, okay, I want to play this way, but I can't play that way anymore because I'm 37 years old. So I know I have to play this way. So how do I get from A to B? And I think he's stuck in between right now. Uh, he wants to play better defensively. He wants to take less shortcuts. But he also knows we got nobody else scoring on this team. So <laughs> I got to score. I got to score. I got to score. I got to score. So that's why he's in between. Right. I know I need to be strong defensively. I know I, knew, I know I need to create offense from strong defensive play like Sid does. But I always was just, uh, uh, you know, galloping Gino where I would just go, 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 go. And so he's trying to play the other way, stuck in the way he's played for, what, 16 years. And so that's a long answer to your short question, but I think he's just stuck in between right now. Yeah. That's what it looks like. All right, guys, let's go back, though. I want more old-time stories here. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) one thing that did come up, though, that I'm sure, and it's still the same, and and Pierre and I were talking about it, Phil, was just the man that Mario Lemieux is. And, and, you know, both you guys can – I'm sure speak so highly of him, but to you, I, I'm sure there's so many moments, so many instances where he showed what a great man he is, but is there something maybe when you first got to the organization, you first met him or you started to get to know him where you said, wow, this guy's aces. Is there something like a moment you can pinpoint like that? I'll give you two quick stories. I promise they'll be quick. Okay. So his first training camp, we were, uh, our training camp was at Mount Lebanon high school in the South Hills. Mm-hmm. And I was playing defense, trying out for defense. And I heard all this about this first overall French kid, blah, 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 blah. But I said, you know what? I, I was still a minor leaguer. I was playing in Baltimore, as Pierre said. I said, way to make your mark, lay out the bonus baby, right? Lay him out. Yeah. So he's coming up through the middle of the ice, kind of has his head down. And I'm thinking, here's my chance. So I go right at him. I'm going to pop him. I got him all lined up. He stops, hits a 360. And boom, he's gone the other way. I fall flat on my face. I look over my shoulder. I'm like, oh, man, not doing that again. (laughs) That was one of the first times I ever met him. But really, the the biggest influence he had on me was when my career was over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Pierre knows the story. I went three years without – I couldn't find a job. I thought I'd done a lot of networking. I wanted to get into broadcasting. But I just couldn't find a job. Anyways – Six months turned into a year to almost three years. I called up Mario. I was at my rope's end. I'll be honest with you. It's the hardest part of my life. And I said, hey, man, Mario, I need help. He said, listen, I'm playing golf this afternoon. Meet me at my country club. We'll have some lunch. We'll talk about it. Sure enough. He said, I don't have anything for you right now. But I was living in Boston at the time. He said, move back to Pittsburgh. Get in front of any camera or microphone you can. Start networking. Get your name and face out there and stay by your phone. Sure enough, six minutes, six uh, months later, he called me. He said, Tom McMillan from the Penguins, who was the VP of communications at the time, said he's going to be calling you soon. Gave me a call, 
said, keep this to yourself. But Eddie Olchek's going from the TV booth behind the bench. Bob Erie, who's doing radio, is going to go up to TV. And we got a radio spot uh, if you want it. I almost jumped through the phone doing fist bumps. And so, you know, you talk about Mario saving the day for the franchise, you know, that they didn't move out of town and so many other ways on the ice. But the way he influenced my life, the trajectory that he mm-hmm. sent my life, um, uh, I'm, you know, I'll get emotional talking about it. It's yeah, he, he saved the day because I was in a bad place, mental health, physically, everything else. I was I was not in a good place, and uh, I don't. If he didn't help me out there, I really don't know what would have happened. You're you're one of many who have told me about Mario yeah. in that respect. Well, Bobby, you learned every single opportunity that you've ever gotten. And uh, I can say that just from my knowledge base of having worked with you and, and won with you. One of the best stories I have on Phil Bork uh, took place at Mary Lemieux's home after we won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted – I never had a chance to ever ask Phil this story, but what were you thinking when you had the cup on top of Mario's waterfall and you decided to jump into the pool with it? Uh, well, a couple of adult beverages maybe (laughs) twisted my decision-making at the time, (laughs) but yeah, that's exactly what happened. You had a gorgeous house, uh, with a tiered waterfall, neon lights that changed color. I think it was Tommy Brasso who had put the cup up there for picture taking time. He did. It was Tommy that put it up. And I was sitting in the hot tub. I'm going, this is the lamest blank and Stanley Cup party. The music was kind of low. Everything was kind of mellow. And people, I'm like, this. So I climbed up the waterfall, held the cup over my head. I didn't know what I was going to do when I get up there, Pierre. But <laughs> just a bunch of people yelled, throw it in the pool. Throw it in the pool. I said, all right. Not thinking at the time that, number one, it was hollow. Yeah. So I threw it in the deep end. It sunk to the bottom like a Volkswagen. Oh, number geez. two, the silver... And the chlorine did not mix very well. Oh, no. it, it got really tarnished. And uh, yeah, but I, I'll tell you what happened. Everybody started taking their clothes off, jumping in the pool. <laughs> Music got louder. Drake's got going. And woohoo! We got partying that night, Pierre. There we ever. But here's the one thing, Jimmy, you don't know. The bottom of the cup was broken. So when you see the tape yeah. of the cup the next day, it's slanted. Oh, jeez. It's crooked. Pierre, oh, it was actually you know, where the original bowl meets the rest of the tiered cup. If yeah, you yeah. go to YouTube and watch the 91 celebration, it was a point straight point state park. Yep. There's a little note inside the original bowl says cup is broken. So <laughs> nobody grabs it. Nobody grabs it by the very end of the cup. They, everybody cradles it like a baby when they pick it up, everybody got introduced individually and just kind of gave a little something to the crowd. Everybody's picking the cup up like it's a little newborn baby yeah. because the original part, we cracked it, and it had to get repaired by a silversmith. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's there's 100% a, true. There's a book, guys. I don't know when it was published, if it was before then or after. Yeah. But if it's after, I wonder if that story made it. There's a book about all the stories with it's the It's Kevin cup. Allen. So Kevin yes. Allen used to write for USA Today. I don't know who he's with now. He might be retired. He's actually, he but actually works on the same network as me, Detroit Hockey Now. Okay, yeah. there you go. So he wrote a book, and the title of the book is How the Stanley Cup Got to the Bottom of Mario Lemieux's Swimming Pool. That's the title of the book. There you go. And then, of course, it's just a whole bunch of other stories yeah. that, that were just as crazy as that one. There, there's one where it was uh, apparently it was when the Canadians won it once. Uh, somebody 
got it in the river and forgot and it started floating down the St. Lawrence River. <laughs> and, and, and somebody calls the cops. Hey, I want to say I saw the Stanley Cup floating down the river towards the Champlain Bridge. Well, you know how the how the original the, the keeper of the cup came along, right? Yeah. Probably because of you. No, the Rangers. <laughs> it was a Rangers. The Rangers when they Rangers. won the 94. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be yeah, able to I know some of those stories, but it went to places where scores. There's a bunch of those places in Montreal. I'll leave it that yes, way. Yep, yep, um, yep. And the shenanigans were off the charts. It was right under the NHL office's nose. And uh, yeah, that's when Great the keeper of the cup was installed. What a job he's got. Phil, you're going to be doing a game tonight between Pittsburgh and Montreal. And you just were a big member of the Penguins salute to Yarmer Yager's retirement yes, at 68. The Montreal Canadiens have a player that wears number 20. His name is Slavkovsky. Yes. I think you're going to be blown away by some of the similarities between he and Yarmer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, I've watched him a little bit. Um, first overall pick, I, I know he's a special talent. And the things that I'm hearing out of the Montreal, I'm sure you'll endorse this, Pierre, is he's turned the corner. Uh, he's starting to figure things out. Last year was a tough year for him. Uh, but this year, he's really starting to turn the corner, and uh, yeah, uh, he's on the fast track to greatness. I saw him a lot over. In, I saw him a lot over in Finland, Phil, before yeah. he came over. Yeah. He's a seventeen-year-old playing in Turku, and he was on the third line. Not Yarmer. When we saw Yarmer, he was a first-line player. He's playing all the time in, in Clydesdale, right. but the adjustment wasn't as big. And Yarmer came to a good team. This kid went to a mediocre team. Right. You're gonna. I think what you're gonna be blown away is when he dominates on the boards and you practice against Yarmer and you know, like Yarmer was such a good board player for this kid being 19 years of age, his board play is unbelievable. You'll, yeah. you'll see. And yeah. I can't wait to talk to you about it because it's just, I haven't seen a lot of players that reminded me of Yarmer. He's, I don't say he's better and I don't think he'll ever be as good, but there's a lot of similarities. And Pierre, the personality too, he's kind of got that quirky personality, fun loving, yeah. You know, and he doesn't – he rolls with it. And I I always love that about Yarger as well. He won't be as quirky as Yarmer, though. Phil could tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of, so how was it, Phil? It looked like a, a really amazing night last week. It was more than just that night. I mean, that's what you saw, but there's a lot of other things that went on uh, the two previous nights before the actual game. And the, and by the way, uh, Rob Blake and, uh, and Jim Hiller and the, the whole L.A. Kings organization, they all came on the bench. So a big salute to them. But yeah. uh, two nights before the actual game at the Rivers Casino in downtown Pittsburgh, we had a round table. It was myself, Jay Caulfield, Kevin Stevens, and Yogs, and Paul Staggerwall was the MC. And it was a sellout crowd. It was a dinner and just a whole get-together, storytelling galore. And it was awesome. There was things that I found out about Yogs. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this one here because you probably should know this. And I don't know if you know this, Pierre. So when Yogs got traded to the uh, Washington Capitals, mm -hmm. he did not have a good playoff. He was kind of down on himself. They had Marty Straka, uh, Alexei Kovalev, and Robert Lang all had contracts that were up. Yogs is, of course, making big money. Mario had just come back. So he went into Craig's office. Uh, this blew me away, Pierre. Went into Craig's office and said, Pierre, uh, uh, Craig, you drafted me. I know you'll never trade me, but it might be time. Because he knew the Penguins were in dire straits financially. Mm -hmm. They were in a tough time paying their hotel bills. They were in a tough time 
paying the stick companies to get sticks in. A lot of the stick companies were like, eh, we don't know if we want to send you another batch. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it was financially. And Yogs knew about all this. And he went to Craig and said, it might be time. It might be time. Because if you trade me, you can you can pay Marty. You can pay Kobe. You can pay Robert Lang. And listen, I'm not the one that puts butts in the seats. Mario can do that. And so Craig traded them. So wow. talk about falling on the sword for yeah. the good of the organization. I did not know that. Wow. Like that. Nobody. Tom McMillan, who had been around forever for the Penguins, was like, oh, my God. I, I had no idea about this. It was unbelievable. And then Craig also to have the kahunas to actually do it. It's one thing for the for Yogs to tell him that, but for mm-hmm. Craig to do it knowing, okay, I got the green light. I got to do this. If we're gonna if we're gonna stay in Pittsburgh, this might be one of our only chances, and it did. It helped that and the organization move forward. We talked about greatness, Jimmy. I'm so glad that Phil shared that story and about the heart, financial hardships in Pittsburgh. Just to show you how great a person Mario Lemieux is, there was a man that owned a hardware store probably three or four blocks from the old Civic Arena, and the team would get rivets from him to fix the skates. The team were getting their rivets on credit. They probably owed them 300 bucks. Mom and pop hardware store. Mario Lemieux, when everything got settled financially, went down to the hardware store and gave the man $300. He did it. Mario did. That just shows you. Like yeah, What Phil cool. just said is so spot on about the armor situation. Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Phil. That's great. That's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it should be known because you know he's a complex guy, and there's a lot of rumors out there. And there was a, a thing where he said, I'm dying a lot. And people took that and they just ran it. And Penguin fans thought, oh, he hates Pittsburgh. He hates living in Pittsburgh. Oh, I know it's rainy and gloomy here, but and, and they heard dying a lot. He didn't mean it that way. And this no, is where a little didn't. bit of the lost in translation happened, yep. where he was dying alive because he was, wasn't playing good. And yep. his standard was so high, he felt he was letting so many people down that yep. that was eating him up. And that's why he was dying alive. It had nothing to do yeah. with the fans or the organization or the city. Yeah. That's just so special. Phil, yeah, we, I, we know you got to get going. Yeah, we know really you got to get going. To go on forever, though. Man. Really appreciate it. I can't wait to see you at Mario's Fantasy Camp. I'll be there for the Sunday morning. Oh, we'll, awesome. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun, Phil. Okay, I'm going to get no, you back on no. the ice, Phil. Old uh, school. Yeah, the only <laughs> ice I'm seeing is in my cocktails. Right <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, brother. See you, All right, Timmy, Pierre, love you guys. Thank you. See you. I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. That's awesome. Great. Phil Bork joining us here on the eye test. Yeah, just special. So many awesome memories from having worked with him. And um, some of them were hard. Some of them were great, you yeah. know, but uh, yeah. more great than hard. Um, what a play. Like, he was, he personified in those days everything he needed to have to win. Mm-hmm. He's good sized, really strong. Totally committed, unbelievably coachable, um, fearless, absolutely fearless. And he he said something that was really smart. I, I wanted to build off it, but you were going in such a good direction. I stayed out. Okay. He never fought for himself. I'm telling you, he fought for his team. Fought and that's him. the key to all this thing. Like, that's the character that nobody understands. This guy fought for his team. He never fought for himself. Yeah. So much time and respect for Phil. And, like, I wasn't kidding around. He was in New York, and things were not going well for him in New York. Yes. He signed a huge free agent deal there. We took him to Ottawa, and he really he really helped Ottawa a lot. He really helped Ottawa a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's like I said, I mean, and you know, we'll have some of these people on our show, so I'm I'm not going to say their names. But 
you know, let them tell their own story, but he's one of many from what I heard. You've told me stories, Pierre. Other people I know from the Penguins organization have told me stories about Mario and, and how much, once you're part of Mario's circle, you're there forever. And, and yeah, you know, like, I'll just tell you this. Whenever Mario calls, I get up and move. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know what he did for me. Um, I'll never forget when I got diagnosed with cancer. He was right on the phone to me. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, we, had, we, we had some pretty magical times around the rink, too. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, but uh, I, I will always, uh, I will always be there for Mario. Mario's a special guy, special, special. Guy. And great insight too. You know what I love? Like you said it right to him. You said it to him there. He tells it like it is. No, he, today's today's like media scene is like not just the teams now. Like I get it if you're a team employee. I get if you have to toe the company line and you have to just, you know. Even when things are going horrible, you're like that that guy. What was his name? Baghdad. Like, don't don't worry here. We're the bombs are fine. We're okay, <laughs> you know. And that, but that's how the media is now. Pierre, yeah. there's too many guys like I work with that don't work for the team that think they do, and they won't tell it like it is to the fans. It is so great to hear that from a team employee the way he told it like it is. There, he wasn't insulting. He just did no. the facts. He gave an opinion to go with it, but he was he was to the point. And I appreciate that. Everything you saw with Phil Bork is how he carried himself as a man when he was a player. Yeah. Hard, firm, fair, and to the point. That's that's just how he was. Never took a day off. I mean, there were nights back in those days we didn't charter, and we would practice the next day, you know, whether it was in Chicago or Detroit, and then head out west or Minnesota or whatever and take a commercial flight. But we would practice, and the guys would go out after the game, obviously. Yep. And you knew they were – some of them were hurting more than others. None of them, not with our two championship teams. Guys didn't take days off. They just didn't. That's and Phil was, Phil was one of the driving forces. He really was. Good stuff. All right. Listen, we got to be out at a hard out at, fi- at 455 today. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's get right to some questions here. We'll okay. squeeze them in. Yep. Rip a pack a day. Pierre, have the Habs current management ever reached out for your opinion assessment of a player? No comment. Next question. Justin LeBron, where do you think Harris will end up as reported by Jimmy? Well, let's let's hold up. What I said was I I went, I saw a report that he was on the trading block. I spoke to numerous sources. Pierre, I talked to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the people confirmed he's out there and it makes sense. And he what people have to understand about what's going on with Jordan Harris and P- Pierre, we've discussed this. Is he is one of so many great young defensemen coming from the Montreal Canadiens that they can use him to fill other holes. But also, as as you saw in this show, what he's like, Kent Hughes, that is, what a person he's like, mm-hmm. and, he, and the way he kept his word with Monaghan as well. He's a, he's a man of his word. He cares about the players. And Pierre, like, I think they just want to find this kid a home, see what they can get from him. I think that's where they're at. Just to back Jimmy up on that, if you watch the waiver wire today, Colin White was put on waivers by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Pittsburgh's playing Montreal tonight. Guess who picked Colin White up? The Montreal Canadiens. So it's not a long walk from the Pittsburgh dressing room to the Montreal dressing room. And one of the reasons why they did that, Colin White's agent is Ken Hughes. Yep. There you go. So that just 
Kent, Kent's an honorable man. Uh, I'm a big fan of what he's trying to do with Jeff Gordon in Montreal. I do think they'll be successful. And part of it's what Jimmy said, their, their depth on defense is going to be really, really lethal, and it's going to help them. It's a chip in the game to make their forward position better. It exactly. really is. Exactly. Yeah. It's no knock on, on Jordan Harris. That's what. No, no. I, Not I think- on this show. Hey, you, you may go to other podcasts and rip, hear people rip on Jordan. Not here. It's not happening. No, no. I mean, and I've you're been not one of factors. I'm a huge, I've been watching the kid for, like, forever. Like, I'm exactly. telling you, he's, he's really exactly. good. Player. Now, I want to say to a lot of people out there, too, that were asking me when I tweeted this, saying, well, what about the Boston Bruins? He's from Haverhill, Mass. He went to Northeastern. Look, does he fit the prototypical Don Sweeney defenseman? You're damn right he does. Yeah, he's Donnie. He's Donnie. He's Donnie. He's Donnie. However, Pierre, I think we can both agree. I think Donnie's slowly realizing, not slowly, he's realizing, he has realized, they need some size back there. They need big, mobile defensemen like the teams that have been knocking them out of the playoffs had, the Tampa Bays, the, the St. Louis Blues. You know, the list goes on. They need got they need size back there. And they've got other guys coming that could go into a third pairing role like Harris would probably go in. So I just don't see a fit there right now. It's not that they probably don't like him. They probably love him. He's just not the fit right now, in my opinion. How do you spell Hannafin? <laughs> well, that's another thing, everybody. <laughs> so so I tweeted earlier today, Pierre. I'm just having fun with everybody out there. I I I'll show you, but I put up. Which team does Hannafin leave the Saddle Dome with tonight? The Flames or the Bruins? Yeah. How do you spell it? Boom. Boom. <laughs> There's Jimmy, we've been talking about Noah for a long time, probably since we started the podcast three months ago. It's the perfect fit. It really is. It's the perfect fit. But I would say there are other fits in South Florida and, and West Florida, too. In their division. Yeah. But if you look at organizational need right now, for Boston's a fit. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And, I, you know, Tampa's coming up a lot now. Some other reporters out there, I think it was Frank Salivelli and maybe Drager, have, have discussed Tampa as a, as a really likely destination. Pierre, I look at Tampa right now, and I'm just talking big picture. Forget about just with Hannafin. I look at Tampa right now where – they're, you know, we talk about Pittsburgh being on a crossroads. Tampa's at a different type of crossroads, but I think they're at a crossroads because the cap and everything they've done for the last seven years is catching up. But they, they've got great drafting there. They'll be okay. I just don't know if they would go out and pay. I don't know if they can pay the ransom. They I don't think they, I don't think they can. I think that's yeah. the hardest part. That's the yeah. hardest. Part. I yeah. think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. All right, next question. Ryan Leonard from the eye test is probably the most NHL ready of the Boston College. Like, man, was he unreal last weekend? He's Will been unreal all season. Take a, I know, but that was just that was statement time, Pierre. Yeah, he's like, oh hey, to my friends back in Amherst. <laughs> like, look at me now. Well, he's, what are you he's trying to show? His, yeah, he's trying to show his brother John, who went to UMass. And yeah, BC is better than UMass, and. I can just tell you this. I, I was at that game. I've been watching BC all year long. Uh, our friend Greg Brown has done a phenomenal job with his staff with that organization there. They, they're class personified. The BC hockey team, class personified. And Ryan Leonard's class personified. He plays with edge. He plays with bite. There's some immaturity in terms of some of his actions. And the coaching staff have addressed that with him. And he's aware. His agent, Matt Cater, has addressed that with him. Mm-hmm. Um but right now, if you're the Washington Capitals, you're salivating. Like oh, this guy, this guy's coming in. And 
will he need some time in Hershey? Maybe a little, but he's not going to be there long. Like no. this is this is a tremendous player. Will Smith's a really good player. I think he needs another year of college as he gets stronger. Uh, Gabe Pearl, I think, put in the right situation in New York, could play for the Rangers right now. But I think in a perfect world, they'd like to see him get a little bigger, a little heavier, a little stronger. I think he'll be back. I'm not sure about Ryan Leonard. I just don't know because Washington needs players. They do. They and do. he's a player that his game translates right away. Yeah. He doesn't need a – you know what I mean? And the one thing I, I did say, and you know, I'm not trying to be barbaric here, because of the way he plays – he needs to learn how to fight because he's going to get challenged. I'm just telling you, he's going to get challenged early, whether it's in the American League or in the NHL, because he's going to hit somebody the wrong way and do something, and he's going to have to fight. It's just, just how it goes for some of those guys. And that's that would be the only thing I would t- tell him, but I would just say that he the eye test tells me he's ready to play. All right. Well, maybe the Caps can call up old Darian Hatcher and have him come in and give him some lessons, huh? All right. Kevin Hatcher. Kevin Hatcher. Kevin Hatcher. Excuse me. Um, You know what? We're going to go to one final question here, and it's a video question from our good friend Shane. So let's hear it. Let's see it. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Pierre. With regards to Trevor Zegers and all the the trade talk, I refuse to believe any of it. I just don't understand why Pat Verbeek would limit himself to trading Zegers, who's injured right now, at the trade deadline, limiting himself to 16 other teams when he can wait to the draft and involve 31 other teams. The entire league would want this guy. So I don't understand where this talk is coming from, and I don't believe it. I don't like it. Fair enough. Good points. What have, what have the people on the eye test been saying about Zegers to Montreal? Yep. We, we agree. Yeah. Well, Pierre, Pierre Lebrun has set that fire up again, Pierre, because uh, – he said the other day that the Canadians are one of the teams that have expressed interest. Of course they are. The Canadians have probably expressed interest in 40 other guys too. That's their job. They well, got I don't I don't have a problem. Pierre's doing his job too. Yeah. I mean, he really he is. He's doing it. But his I don't job. want fans to think that well, that means the Canadians then are the front runner. No, but that's so that's where you got to be a little bit careful. Not yeah. as the fans have to, not so much LeBron. He's got a no. job to do. Um, but I would say it just it doesn't make sense. Here's what's the strength of Montreal right now in terms of depth? It's defense, right? Defense. What's the strength of Anaheim? It's defense. defense. You got all these great young defensemen. There's no match there. Canadians, there's just no match. They need wingers. But they, they need, need big wing. They need big wingers. Exactly. They need big wingers, not small guys. They they need big guys. Big guys that can score. But we'll continue that tomorrow, Pierre. But we will also. Uh, talk some college hockey. Leo Flaherty, superstar. I'm in the North Leo Flaherty. I can't wait. Bubba Bork was unbelievable. Phil Bork, that was, yeah. that was fantastic. Like, he was so good. Um, Billy O'Flaherty is going to bring the heat. I'm oh, up yeah. in the North Country now. I spent uh, most of the day with the St. Lawrence University women's hockey coaching staff breaking down tape. It was delightful. I had such a blast doing it. I'll be over at Clarkson on Saturday to do the same thing with their staff. Um, but oh my goodness gracious, Billy O'Flaherty on this show. I can't wait. It's gonna be you, you guys think you heard you you guys watching and listening think you heard some great stories with Phil Bork, which you did. They were fabulous. Get ready for more with Billy O'Flaherty. Because oh, I'm telling you, this guy is one of the all-time characters. And man, does he know everyone in this game and know the game inside out. Yeah. Really looking forward to talking to Billy O'Flaherty on On Campus Friday here on the eye test and the sick pocket podcast network. He's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.